I'm Gunnar Siasen. I'm uh, I am a patient advocate living with cystic fibrosis. Uh, my family's uh, foundation, the Boomer Siasen Foundation, was founded in 1993 when I was diagnosed with uh, with CF at, at age two. Um, and you know, much like you, grew up with CF sort of in my pocket, sort of was defining and just about everything I did. Um, but uh, you know, and we'll talk about this later. But the success of cystic fibrosis has allowed me to. Uh, to sort of do a bunch of other things. And, uh, you know, really the last couple of years have been really some of the most transformative of my life outside of the pandemic uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, not long after I you know started feeling better because of Trikafta, I went off to grad school, got my MBA, uh, also did a degree in, uh, in public health. Um, I now work at a clinical trial software startup, uh, which has been a lot of fun uh, for me to get into. Uh, but more than that, uh, I am a new dad. My my son Casper's uh, just turned one at the end of last year, so uh, we're you know sort of uh, going through all of the amazing parts of of parenthood. My wife and I, my family and I, um, and my family's also growing like exponentially at this point. My my sister has two daughters, so uh, we're like within the last like two and a half years, everything is just getting bigger, uh, which has been which has been super super fun. Uh, but I'm happy to be here on this uh, this podcast with you. Thanks. Yeah, uh, same with our family growing exponentially. Like I said uh, in the intro, my sister and my brother both have CF2. And my sister is a couple of years younger than me. And she had her first daughter um, when she was on Orcambi several years, six years ago. Yeah. Her daughter's six now. Cool. So so she was the first one. She was the Orcambi baby. And then... Um, She's got a one-year-old also. She's a little bit over one, uh, a little, she's actually, what, when was Casper born? Uh, so Casper was born in December of okay. 2021. So yeah, so they're like the same um, age. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah so yeah. He's so a she's got two age. and then I've got two now. It's, and it's just funny. It's like, I'm sure like your parents, well, I mean, you had your, your sister, but they probably never thought that they would be grandparents to your kids and look at them now. Yeah. I think it, yeah, it's been a little bit of, um, I feel like I've watched my parents change a lot over the last, uh, over the, really since my my niece was born two and a half years ago. Like I, I saw them change a lot then, uh, but really since Casper was born, you know, watching them, you know, hold Casper and sort of like do the grandparent thing has uh, been been super fun. Like my dad's a big mush, and then uh, my, my my mom is just like. I feel like she's just constantly wanting to like do things with the baby. Um, I was looking at um, the Boomer Esiason Foundation website earlier and uh, going through the About Us page. And speaking of your dad being a big mush, I <laughs> pulled out this quote that was on the timeline that you guys have where he said, I pray that your life will be long and filled with happiness. You can always count on me to be by your side and to save that special spot just for you. That made me tear up. I was like, that's so sweet. So I bet he's a really sweet grandpa. Yeah, he is a sweet grandpa. Um, he uh, he like is like the the classic dad who um, you know uh, the classic dad of like you know, like the boomer generation. Like his name is Boomer, but also the boomer generation. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Where like he'll like he'll like take his iPad out and like take photos with the iPad. It's like awesome. dreadfully embarrassing for me, and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> this is this does is, he at uh, least does he at least point it the right way? 
<laughs> yeah yeah he will yeah no he like we're at uh like when i got married like of course there's a photographer there and yet my dad's like snapping photos on his phone Classic. So, Classic. Uh, so i think that's just yeah it's uh pretty stereotypical but um yeah no i think the the, the uh watching my dad become uh a, a a grandfather i think for him feels a little bit like he's crossed something of like a proverbial finish line uh mm-hmm. for um you know for for everything that he's done in the cf world for so long for him as far as like uh parenting uh, you know a son born with cf it feels like you know they they won the ultimate prize uh and it was you know seeing me get married and then for, of course having, having a son and I'm, I'm sure your family feels very similar to right it's like yeah. when we were all diagnosed with cf you know those things were you know milestones that would maybe be achieved one day if if everything went right and then you know here we are 30 years later and everything went right so i, I think the fact that it's uh the fact that we you know both you and i get to have uh you know kids after living a life with cf um i, I I find that I find myself just like reflecting on that often. Like I just look at Casper and I'm like, I know, thinking back to everything <laughs> that I went through. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. I mean, I think as a parent in general, you have many like pinch yourself moments where you're just like, especially as they grow. I mean, so mine are two and a half mm-hmm. now. And literally every day I look at them, I'm like, how did you go from this little potato sack baby to a walking talking child and just goes so fast but then yeah that I mean you add the CF layer to it and I don't know about you if it's the same way for you but for me it's surprisingly easy to forget how like sick I was before trichafta um Mm -hmm. and it just I mean I don't know I don't know a lot has happened since trichafta right like we had the pandemic and had kids and it's just it's been like a time it's just been a weird time it's like a time warp and so um, it just feels, I think simultaneously like a lifetime ago and like yesterday, um, mm-hmm. the things were very, very different, but I find myself going through my day and just being like, I, I forget that I was like doing treatments every day and coughing constantly and having like all kinds of issues because I was coughing constantly and having nonstop lung infections and you know, weighing 40 pounds less than what I weigh now because I I could not gain weight for the life of me and it was not for lack of trying. And then when you're suddenly healthy and and it's strange too for us because it was, it was like literally overnight, you know, you start taking Trikafta, at least for me, it was like about two days later. Um, and I've told this story before, but I was at the dentist and I, it was like my second day of taking Trikafta. And so, you know, they're in your mouth and I can't stop coughing and I'm, it's not just a cough. Like I'm coughing stuff up. And so I was so embarrassed that I didn't even think, oh, this is the trichafta working. You know, I just felt my embarrassment and then got out to the car and was still like coughing stuff up and realized like, oh my gosh, this is the trichafta, like purging me of all this mucus that is gathered in my lungs for yeah. 27 years. So, um, yeah, anyway. I don't know. What's your, what you, do you have a trichafta story of when you started it? Yeah, I do. Um, and and I, I love hearing them all the time, right? When people talk about it, it's just amazing to hear how, how people realize that the drug was working. But uh, I was in the, the clinical trial. So I, uh, okay. my, my, my CF center was one of the sites that was hosting the, you know, the, the trial. And if you recall the trichafta, the, 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 
the drug trial that led to Trikafta was actually super unique because they were testing two compounds in phase three, right? That like doesn't happen across like the drug industry whatsoever. Um, and if it does, it's exceedingly rare at that a drug company is testing two compounds to actually license one of them as a drug. Um, do vaguely so, remember that. <laughs> it, so it was, uh, it, I know it feels like forever ago. So it was yeah. spring 2018 when I, uh, when I enrolled and uh, when I enrolled into the trial, it was a 50-50 chance that I was going to be assigned to the placebo control group or uh, the active drug. And the entire car ride to the clinic, I like was I felt a sense of like dread and anxiety that like, what is my life going to look like if I get the, you know, how will I know if like I had all these questions that were half questions, half answers, like I'm just like I'm disputing now. I couldn't get complete thoughts around my head. But really what I was concerned about was what if I left the clinic and it didn't work, right? Would that mean yeah. that I was on the placebo or would it mean that I was on the drug and the drug didn't work, right? I had been in enough clinical trials to leave the dosing, you know, uh, visit to realize that the drug wasn't working, right? Like I've, I've, you know, I've done it enough to, uh, um, to realize, you know, how disappointing it is to be in a trial when the drug is presumably doing nothing. So I had this like feeling of like deep, like horrendous anxiety the entire car ride to the clinic when i finally dosed the drug it's like it was pretty uh pretty uneventful <laughs> i just like swallowed a pill and you know ate some peanut butter uh and then uh 36 hours later i knew that i had the real drug <laughs> I, like i woke up and i could breathe and i was like i was like wow this is crazy yeah uh, i definitely don't have the placebo um and then you know a week later, my cough vanished. And then I realized actually <clears throat> about, I guess a couple of days after that, um, I play recreational ice hockey and I'm on a, like a men's league ice hockey team with, with my dad actually, which is kind of funny that he plays hockey with me. Um, <laughs> and when I was super sick, I still, <laughs> he, he, he grew up a huge hockey fan and like our family's like a, a huge hockey family, right? Like I grew yeah. up as a big New York Rangers fan and I played youth hockey growing up and I was actually a hockey coach too at one point. Um, but when I was sick, I could still play ice hockey, but it was hard. Like I would cough a lot. I would just have trouble breathing. I mean, you know, like being an athlete yeah. with, with active CF is difficult. Uh, and when I was very, very sick for a couple of years leading up to the track after trial, it just became exceedingly difficult to play. But there I was, you know, six or seven days after starting on the, the trial. And I felt like Wayne Gretzky. I was like, wow, I have all the strength <laughs> in the world. I could breathe. I was up and down the ice. I was like flying. My teammates were like shocked because they had seen me, you know, play for so long that they're like, what the heck happened to Gunnar? Um, yeah. And I think after, after we got off the ice that night, you know, my dad and I sort of had this realization that like it was working, yeah. right? Like that the drug was working in our lives had just been forever changed. You think you comprehended that at that point that you're, you oh, know, absolutely. Like yeah, so absolutely. Different. yeah, yeah, it was. And I don't think I like took that straight on uh, until a few months later. And I've told the story on, you know, other podcasts from my blog, but uh, when my wife and I um, that summer decided to go on vacation and I felt great, I had all the energy in the world. I could do whatever the hell I wanted to do. Uh, my, you know, my girlfriend at the time, my now wife, we went on uh, a road trip. Uh, to a few Civil War battlefield sites. We went to Gettysburg, we went to the Battlefield of Antietam. We did a, a weekend in Washington, D.C. I'm like a super like nerdy history buff. So I was loving it. And my, you know, in order to convince my wife to do this with me, I made several concessions, one of which we had to do a segue tour of the Battlefield of Gettysburg 
I did not like the segue. She loved the segue. We also did like one of those old timey photos with the in the black and white photo of like the period I feel like piece. Maybe you posted so, those. I feel like I remember seeing those. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely posted that photo. Um, and uh, <laughs> we we did the uh, we did the trip to yeah you know, through it all. And on the way home, we were stuck in traffic on the New Jersey Turnpike, uh, going back to New York from Washington D.C. And my wife looked at me and she said, "You know, Gunner." like you're healthy you made it through this trip com- you know completely fine mm-hmm. you have the rest of your life ahead of you you know what do you want to do now and it was a question that i had never asked myself i never asked myself what i wanted to do with my life and um it sort of set off a sequence a sequence of events that ended up you know changing everything about me right like i went off to grad school i moved to new hampshire i moved away from my family i you know i have a job now i have a career so um it's a pretty influential moment in my life and i but the truth is it, it took a couple of months to get there after starting on the drug right like i yeah, had to mentally. convince myself that it was yeah that it was going to work for the rest yeah. of my life or at least work for as long as it could so and feel free to answer this to whatever degree you're comfortable or not at all mm-hmm. but what were you um what was your health like before you started trichafta yeah i mean i think uh, my health was um not in a great place. Uh, when I when I graduated college, about five, I guess it was five years before starting on the the, the trial for the for the for the medicine. I mean, I was basically on the the verge of end stage disease, right? Like I was in and out of the hospital. I was in and out of you know procedures like almost every two or three weeks. Um, you know, I was dealing with uh, basically the worst parts of like antibiotic resistance that most people end up dealing with, uh, you know, towards the end of their lives or towards the the end of their, you know, their run with the lungs that they were born with. And it was just devastating because we were throwing every, you know, antibiotic in the arsenal at my infection and nothing was working. Right. It just felt like I had completely lost control. Um, until finally we, we sort of got a handle on, uh, uh, on the, you know, on my, on my declining health and basically stabilized, stabilized me at a pretty low level of, uh, of lung function. But it, you know, I was, I, it was well enough to, you know, have a part-time job. Like I was a football coach, I was an ice hockey coach. You know, I did some patient advocacy back then. Um, but it was no way to live, right? Like it was, there was no, like I had no future for myself. I had, I, there was, I was unable to think forward, uh, just because I was so stuck in the rut. Um, and I think the power of the, of, of Tricapta, frankly, is that it, you know, released me from that, right? Like I had yeah. the, 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 you know, while I was in the New Jersey Turnpike that like my future had been unlocked and that's, yeah. I mean, that's what the medicine did for me. That's wild. Yeah. Um, so I don't like to share other people's stories. Um, even like my siblings, you know, those are their short stories to, to tell, but, um, my sister had gotten to a similar place and it was really scary um, being an onlooker of that. And I, I, I was pretty sick as a kid. Like I was the sickest probably of the three of us um, as a kid in and mm-hmm. out of the hospital, um, IV antibiotics a lot. Um, yeah. and I, but I wasn't, so I'm double Delta 508, which is, as you know, of course, the most common um, gene mutation. Um, but I wasn't diagnosed until I was seven. I was seven, oh, wow. my sister was five and, and doctors just always thought that she had sinus issues and allergies. And, um, I don't know what they thought about me, 
Um, in Kansas, when in 1992, they didn't do newborn screenings, and now that's different. They do. Um, so we just kind of like flew under the radar for a while, and then our our family physician uh, suggested we go get a sweat test, and of course, they came back positive. Yeah. Um, but I got pretty lucky, I think. Um, and I was definitely, you know, looking back, I think I was sicker than I realized. Um, like in adolescence and early adulthood and um, into my 20s. But um, I wasn't to end stage by any means. Um, I had I had pretty good lung function. And I hadn't gotten to the point yet where no antibiotics were working for me. I still kind of had my go to antibiotics that <laughs> would get the job done. It was just it was getting to a point for me where it was very cyclical, like, I would feel good for yeah. about two weeks that I was on antibiotics. And then as soon as I stopped them, I started feeling like shit again. So, um, it was, I, I think, and so right before I've always struggled with my weight, but right before, um, Tricapta, like the fall of 2019. And I started it in December, 2019. Um, my weight had gotten really, really low. And again, like at the time I knew I was skinny, but looking back on pictures now, I'm like, I don't think I realized I was that like really, really small. Um, and, um, so it's scary and also like inspiring at the same time to think what would have happened because I was think I think I was getting to a point where, uh, things were starting to kind of move downhill in a down, you know, downward trajectory. And, um, Trikafta, I think came at the right time for me. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard. It's like, that's not the, we, I mean, we all know everybody in the CF world knows people who have passed from CF and it's just not, um, it didn't come in time for a lot of people. So I feel very fortunate. Um, and then in February, 2020 is when I got pregnant with the twins, which was definitely a result of Trikafta, which at the time it's funny. Perfect. I didn't like <laughs> with the risk of TMI, I didn't like, we didn't change anything. You know, I, I didn't think about it at all. And then when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, what? And then, you know, it should have been so like, I should have thought with all of these changes, like, Oh, okay. Like this is gonna, you know, alter my reproductive system a bit, but um I, I did not think about that. And so they were a surprise. And then the twins were just spontaneous too. Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, when we, we used to think about the progress that we were making in, you know, CF care, right. Like, like continuing CF supportive care. Like we hit the milestone where, you know, more than 50% of the patient population was above the age of 18. Right. We did that within the last 10 years. Like that was like a pretty transformative moment. So like said that, Oh, CF is no longer childhood disease. But my, my new favorite stat is the number of people with CF that have become parents, right? Like that's yeah. a huge uh, jump forward because it's like a milestone that everyone universally knows. Um, and the true, there is a, there is a trichafta baby boom in the CF world. And, um, you know, it's, it's like the next generation of the CF community isn't only going to be people with CF, you know, people with CF born in the future, but kids born to parents with CF today. And that's really yeah. kind of like the, uh, the best thing. What's wild to me is, uh, knowing that my kids will only, well, I, I can't predict the future, but, um, as far as CF is concerned, will probably only ever know me as like a healthy mom. Like they're never going to know me as a CF mom, you know, 
and granted I still have CF, but, um, it's just crazy to think like, I don't know, the first half of, or the first 27 years of my life looked so different than what I assume the next 27 will look like. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, it is, a. It's something that I've, uh, you know, thought about a lot, like how I'm going to talk to uh, my son about CF and everything that we went through and and sort of everything that led to him in our lives. Um, and I've, I have found that a, a, an amazing resource, uh, you know, for sort of like the parenting milestones as, as, our, as people that, you know, have had kids, right? Other people with CF who have had kids and, and have kids that are you know, uh, a few years older than, than than my son, so it's been a it's been a fun uh, foray yeah. into meeting other other people with CF who uh, who are parents and then hearing how they handle a lot of different things. Like I know one thing that we're struggling with in our house is, uh, you know, this it feels like the longest cold and flu season ever. Uh, <laughs> we're we're you know, we're three months into twenty twenty three now, and every month we've had a bug in the house, right? We all we all had COVID around the holidays. We had the stomach bug in February which was probably worse than COVID. And then now uh, a head cold just moved through the house. Um, <laughs> so it's just, I feel like it's, uh, it's been a, that that's been one side of, uh, of parenting with CF that's still been a little, uh, you know, troublesome, I suppose. And I think I, I'm like, it's seared into my memory that whenever a cold came into the house, like I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to get dreadfully sick. <laughs> and well, that doesn't really happen anymore. I still feel like that might happen. Uh, so that's, that's something that I'm personally working on. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually, um, just talking with my therapist a couple weeks ago about, uh, the mentality that I've always had, which for background, um, understanding, like we, I think we, my siblings and I grew up in like a fairly normal with a fairly normal childhood. You know, we went to a public school, um, we played sports, we, we were involved in things, you know, um, And there's varying degrees, I think, in the CF community of, you know, going to public school versus being homeschooled. And, and of course, there's such a variation of like, of severity of disease. So it just, it all very much depends on, you know, your approach to it. Um, And then also the cards that you've been given. Um, But that said, you know, we, I think our parents really strived to give us a as normal a childhood as possible. So I was talking with my therapist about how um, we had, like, I always had this mentality of like cautiousness with CF, right? Like you're always kind of anticipating the next thing. Um, Like, okay, I'm gonna, for example, as a kid, like I'm gonna go to this sleepover and then I can probably anticipate after the sleepover, you know, at the sleepover, not sleeping very much. And then the next day, next week, whatever, being sick. And so you just have like this very cautious approach to life of like, when's the next shoe going to drop and knowing that it probably will. And so it's been this strange adjustment um, in the post-trichapter life of like, you know, I don't have to live as cautiously as I did before. I'm not going to end up in the hospital if I, you know, stay out late one night, (laughs) which was a a reality before, you know, it's like you have to tread very lightly on your body because your body is already doing so much just to breathe. And so um, any extra effort, you know, could really like exhaust you and thereby leave you vulnerable to infection and, you know, land you in the hospital with an IV in your arm. So 
So my therapist and I were having this conversation and um, it's actually kind of cool story, I guess, is, is in part what led to the podcast because I just am like, I have been battling myself basically and like telling myself like you need to stay small you need to live like a cautious life because that's what I've always done mm -hmm. but now that we have trichafta like that's not necessarily true anymore but it, it's an interesting you know it's like your brain is slow to catch up to your new right. reality yeah no it um it is and I think um I think I realized I guess a couple like you know sort of going back to the story that I told earlier where my wife asked me what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Um, you know, I, I realized that the only way I was going to get out of that, like old CF thinking, and believe me, like th those thoughts like still creep into my mind, but the only way that I was going to get out of it, was I had to jump into something completely and utterly new, like things that I had yeah. never done before. And I mean, that's, that was like my impetus to go to grad school. And it was my, the impetus for my first job after grad school, right? Like I work for a, uh, a tech company, which has been super fun. Like it's like a startup, like putting out a lot of fires, but also making sure we're uh, delivering good products to our customers. The and especially in the clinical trial world, like you need the best products ever. So clinical trial people can get their medicines. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I've, I found, I guess, ways to, to deal with, uh, you know, pushing away the, uh, you know, the old way of CF living, but it also, in a lot of ways, has shaped who I am today. Or I know that, and I have accepted that. You know, I'm here today after a lifetime of of living with severe disease. I was pregnant throughout the pandemic. Like, so I found out that I was pregnant in, oh gosh, I think it was like the first week of March. So I mean, it was like the timeline. It was just right then. Up. Yeah, it was right then. And so that was a very scary time because I was like, what you know, what is this thing? Um, and I managed to avoid COVID until I think like spring 2022, um, okay, and yeah. then got it, but, and it did knock me on my ass for like two full days. I just slept like a dead person and then kind of had some lingering symptoms for a while <laughs> afterward. But, but that was another thing, you know, I was like, who knows how bad that would have been for me. Um, yeah. a few years ago, if, you know, if this had happened in a different timeline. So yeah, I mean, in sure. a lot of ways, we are fortunate that the we are fortunate that the medicine was uh, approved right before the pandemic hit, right? So I mean, that's right as people were like, you know, dropping their treatments or like stopped needing to use the you know inpatient part of the hospitals, right? Like, I mean, that's yeah. one of the unsaid like major benefits that uh, the CF population you know experienced right as the pandemic. Like, I have a hard time looking back and thinking like, what would have happened had yeah. The truck had not been approved. I was, you know, using, you know, interventional radiology in the hospital suite like every other month, uh, you know, up until I started the drug. So, uh, yeah, those are some scary thoughts to think back to, like what would have happened had had the medicine not been approved. Yeah, yeah, it was very, very good timing. You grew up in, you grew up with a dad as a public figure, figure, and so like not only, you know, is he known like in the football world and the sports world, but, um, he, you were also sort of brought up into the spotlight, um, because of your CF. And, um, so what was that like? What do you remember about that? Like growing up, I guess, yeah, with a parent as a public figure, but also like growing up sort of in the spotlight as someone with CF. 
yeah, this is something that I, we talk about a, a lot at the foundation, right? Like, um, you know, my, my, my parents, but you know, both my mom and my dad are very aware that they did not give me a choice when I was a kid, right. To like be in the spotlight with my staff. Like they're very aware of that. Um, and like, that's honestly, that's all that I think I would need to know. Like they, they are aware that they made a choice on my behalf, um, but I'm glad they did it. Um, and, the, and the real story kind of behind it actually is that in 1989, uh, my dad's was playing for my dad was playing for the Cincinnati Bengals. They went to the Super Bowl um, that year and they lost, but that year he was the NFL MVP. And that summer, you know, the NFL MVP is like sort of like America's guest, right? Like he was going to, you know, this fundraising event or that fundraising event or this gala or that gala to sort of, you know, be like the celebrity at the event. And that one in particular, there was a man by the name of Frank DeFord, who's a sports writer. Um, and he gave a, a very memorable speech to the point where uh, my dad actually went up to him afterwards and spoke uh, to Frank, you know, and said, how can I help? Because Frank had talked about his daughter, Alex, uh, who died with CF seventies. And most people might know the story actually, because he, he wrote about it in a book called Alex life of a child. Uh, and you know, back then in the seventies, you know, CF was very different disease than it is today to the point where they, you know, they didn't really have many medications they could provide to patients. Right. And my dad was so touched by the story that he actually went up to Frank and said, you know, how can I help? Like, what can I wow. do uh, for the CF community in, in Cincinnati? Like, how can I actually get involved? And my dad for, uh, you know, for, for a number of years, you know, visited CF kids in the hospital or he went to fundraisers wow. or he did celebrity dinners and fundraise for, uh, for the CF community well before I was even born. Uh, and then wild. finally and then, and then finally I was born and then diagnosed two years later. And uh, you know, as my dad sort of tells the story, he says you know, that his first call was to his father, my grandpa. And then his second call was to Frank. And Frank said, you know, Boomer, we, you know, I'm so sorry this has happened to you, but this is what we've needed. You know, we've needed somebody to put a face on this disease. And there's, a, got chills. <laughs> you know, there's a response. There's a responsibility here for you to to take this on if you, if you want to. And uh, from that, that's really what happened, right? Like, you know, here we wow. are 30 years later, that's, uh, that story, you know, rings as true today as it did with my dad first talked to Frank DeFord in 1993. Um, and believe me, we recognize that we have the platform. We recognize that we have the voice. Um, and we recognize that we don't represent all opinions and views of the CF population. But when we do, uh, you know, speak out and try to do good for the world, like, you know, we we try to do do whatever we can um, to be to be a strong, powerful bullhorn for, for people with CF. Wow. That's wild. I didn't realize that, that he had already gotten involved with CF before you were even yeah. born, before they even knew that they had a child with CF. Ooh, that's crazy. Yeah, it is a little bit of a, uh, it is a little bit of a crazy story. Um, and it's one that, you know, my dad talks about a lot, um, a few years ago, actually, but I guess probably about 10 years ago now, uh, HBO did a, uh, did a story about my dad and Frank and their, you know, their friendship over, uh, that sort of, you know, they had the shared bond of being two dads who had kids with CF. Frank DeFord passed away a couple of years ago, but um, okay. I think we were all so glad that that HBO was able to 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 shine a light on, you know, their relationship and, and everything that they had both collectively been through and and had done for the CF world for, for a number of years. Do you know of anybody else in your family who has CF or who had CF? It's a good question, right? So I was uh, diagnosed when I was two, much like you. I mm -hmm. slipped through the cracks of there being no uh, newborn screening. 
uh, when I when I was diagnosed. Um, and actually, one of the first you know real efforts my parents got behind was to champion newborn screening for cystic fibrosis. Oh, cool. uh, because I was sick for you know two years, like they just could not get any answers uh, for why I was sick until finally I was um, I was I was diagnosed with a sweat test. Yeah. Uh, and you know because my parents had been so involved in the CF community, you know, as you know just general you know donors might be. You know, they were kind of in the hiring position of sort of knowing what was going to happen to me, right? It's a terrifying situation. Um, but uh, beyond that, no, there's no record of CF in my family. Uh, you know, my grandmother on my on my mom's side did like, a, you know, one of those genealogy things that like mm-hmm. people like to do. Yeah. And they identified one person that died of, you know, respiratory ailments. Yeah. Very early age, like, you know, yeah. a century and a half ago. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, there was no, there's no other CF in our family. Yeah. That's the same thing with if us. that person and, even had CF. Right. Well, you wonder. Um, so my grandma on my dad's side is, is very into genealogy and same. Okay. Thing. As, as grandparents are, yes. I, I'm, I'm almost kind of anticipating like my dad's going to get like, get super into genealogy or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's got like, um, they have a pool table in their basement. She's got like maps that span like the entire pool. Yeah. Table. She's got like all yeah. maps. I, I know exactly what I did. I know you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but same thing, at least one, maybe more than one, uh, children born sometime between, I don't know, like 1800 and 1900 where it was just sort of like a mystery illness something respiratory yeah. and the child died young and so you have to wonder um but we don't know we don't yeah. know, we don't know like which grandparent or yeah we don't know um so I just find that interesting so it's just yeah the three of us siblings we just got lucky <laughs> there's three of us in one family yeah it is what it is it's the yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the genetic lottery yeah <laughs> rolled the dice and we we won I guess um okay um so in the same vein, um, when you were talking about, you know, your parents acknowledged that you didn't really have a say in being like a public figure from the time you were little in the CF community. Um, with your son, do you think, I, I know he doesn't have CF, um, but do you, and I ask this just as a parent who I think about this constantly with my own kids, do you have um, thoughts around like, you know, doing the same thing essentially with your son like especially with social media you know that wasn't something that was yeah a thing when we were little not anything that our parents had to contend with um and now it's something that I find myself just feeling very conflicted about it um you know because everyone I say that with an asterisk but everyone shares their kids on social media and yeah. um I wonder like particularly when you have a bigger platform like you do like what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I am not an expert, and I feel like I'm learning every day uh, how to how to answer some tough questions. But um, you know, I think I think we've realized that um, you know a lot of people are deriving hope in uh, in my son, and that people are deriving hope in lots of kids born to born to you know CF parents for a lot of reasons, right? I think. There's a whole generation of people uh, with CF right now, kids, and and you know, growing up with the condition as you and I did, where you know their parents are the, the main care caregivers, and they're um, you know they look for hope in older people with CF, as as you know my parents did when I was growing up, um, hmm. and you know I think the way that we we really 
uh, decided to take that on is our foundation uh, recently launched an IVF assistance fund uh, for people okay. with CF going who want to uh, you know go through family building and uh, unfortunately for for ninety nine percent of men with CF uh, uh, you know we all are you know we all live with uh, congenital absence of vas deferens meaning sperm can't leave the body naturally and. Um, as a result, men, in order to, to build families, need to go through IVF. And of course, some women with CF also face infertility, and then it's also magnified beyond that for people with CF who are uh, post-transplant and, and living successfully. And uh, IVF is, co- is cost-prohibitive for a lot of people. Uh, so I think the way that we're honoring our, you know, my son uh, is by you know, allowing or, or facilitating family building for as many people with CF as we can. Um, and I, I think the foundation has really evolved in a lot of ways to confront challenges that I faced in my own life, and that I've been fortunate enough to sort of uh, get through for, for a number of different reasons. And we want to make sure people with CF can get through them as well. That you know, from the scholarships that we offer to other other assistance that we offer as well. Uh, but it's a real priority for the foundation to allow people uh, with CF to to pursue family building if they want. Um, yeah. And I think that's the way that we're we're really choosing to. Um, to honor, you know, my son and, and, and honor everything that he's been through and, and show what he represents. Uh, but as far as whether or not he wants to, you know, get in the spotlight or get on the stage one day, that's, that'll be up to him. Um, it, you know, it's not something that we've really kind of like discussed, <laughs> you know, in, in, uh, in detail right now, I think we're just more focused on whether or not uh, he's gonna fall down when he tries to to uh, walk get, walk yeah. down the hallway. <laughs> yeah, that that stage from one to two is scary because they get brave, but you, you know that they oh, still yeah. don't really have an understanding of like, hey, I can fall on really. Yeah, I remember those days. We're luckily past them. Um, yeah, he's he he like just he took his first steps towards the end of last year, oh. and for a while was doing like the drunk sailor kind of like while. Yes. We're at the point where like, just like, I don't want to fall, but in the last week or two, we've seen like the exponential growth in his skill, uh, which creates a whole other set of problems, right? Like he can get away from us now. Uh, it's like, where's the baby? And like, he will. I thought he was in here. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I think we're, I think it's something that we're, you know, taking on as, as he ages, right? Like whatever his comfort level is with. Um, you know, being involved in either CF fundraising or CF events will, will sort of be up to him within reason. Yeah. Uh, but I, I can imagine he'll, you know, he'll he'll show up to a fundraiser here or there and the well, crowd will gather around him. He's adorable. So yeah, he, <laughs> I can imagine he only helps at like fundraising events and stuff. Yeah. He's, he's so cute. We'll see. He hasn't done it. Hasn't done any yet. We may try to get him to one next fall. Yeah. So uh, funny little story about, um, the Boomer Sison Foundation offering IVF support. Uh, I went to clinic with my little brother, who's he's 21. Um, last week, he he invited me to go to clinic with him because he just started going to a new one, and I was shocked. I was like, "You want me? You want okay?" Um, but so my mom came across the um, news that the the Sison Foundation was um, offering support for IVF. And my brother was like horrified because she texted it to him and was like, look at this. And he was like, he was like, lady, I am 21. Like, that's awesome. But no, <laughs> he was totally freaked out. He's like, I don't know what mom is thinking, but not ready for that. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's actually interesting talking to a lot of men with CF who have, who've gone on to, um, to build families. It's, it's a little bit of a weird thing, right? Because we all kind of learn that we, 
uh, aren't infertile at different stages of life. And I've been very open with how I learned about it. I learned about it in a Facebook group and I was not old enough to, oh. to, to know what I was getting myself into. And it was devastating when I learned. Oh. But when I finally had the conversation with the provider, you know, a number of years later, um, the thing that actually scared me was the procedure to get the sperm out of my body, right? That was like <laughs> a terrifying like idea. And I've come to learn that a lot of men with CF actually put a lot of thought and they dedicate a lot of brain space to like the fear of actually getting, um, you know, sperm extracted from their body uh, through, you know, medical means. And, you know, being on the other side of it, like it, like I, I know that I wasted so much brain space into thinking <laughs> about something that ended up not being so bad. Yeah. Um, well, I think for him, it's, it's uh, more like just the thought of becoming a parent. He's like, slow down lady. Like well, that too. Yeah, that too. Yeah. That too. Yeah. yeah. yeah he's, he's still young. He's still, he's still got yeah. some good years ahead of him. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you hope to help the CF community or the CF foundation in the future. And how do you see the community evolving in this new sort of era that we're in? Yeah. So, you know, I think, um, I think cystic fibrosis can really be a model for other rare disease indications, right? So for other rare disease populations to follow. And for those listeners who may not know, rare disease is any condition, at least in the U.S. is what we consider it, any condition with fewer than 200,000 people living with it at any one time. And in this in the U.S., there's about 40,000 people living with CF. CF is a rare disease as a result. Um and rare diseases are complex uh, because there's a lot of different issues uh, that uh, that arise as you try to conquer these conditions with biochemistry, right? With medicine to tackle the the, the issues that we live with, um, and and most notably is it's it's the population size, right? There's forty thousand people with CF. It's hard to convince drug makers, uh, researchers to go after such a small condition when. Uh, the the broader population has a greater burden of other more common ailments, right? Like right. cardiovascular disease or um, you know, you know diseases associated with aging and, and things like that. So um, the, it begs the question: Why has CF been so fortunate to be where we are as a rare disease? And it's because really the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation is so influential and so powerful with what it's achieved and what it will hopefully one day achieve that it actually has created a model for other rare diseases to follow. And the thing that uh, the CF Foundation does is they actually make for-profit investments into pharmaceutical companies, which is super rare for nonprofit organizations to do, right? They have basically turned themselves into a little bit of like a quasi-venture capital firm that puts money to work inside companies, and then they can sell that investment for more money if it actually works. And that's exactly what happened. That's the story of the CFTR modulators, right? From Kaleidico all the way to Trikafta. The CF Foundation put a little bit of money into a pharmaceutical company. That pharmaceutical company was eventually bought. And then later on... Yeah, so so it, uh, the CF Foundation actually put money into a small company called Aurora Biosciences, okay. which is a super small biotech company in San Diego, which was eventually acquired by a larger pharmaceutical company, Vertex. And that's kind of like how the pharmaceutical company works, right? Like right. big companies buy smaller companies <laughs> yeah, and they the time. enable the drug development to go faster. And it's just an important part of that of that industry, which is like a super nuanced industry and in how it works. Um, and, and in doing so, the CF Foundation's investment got more and more and more valuable until they ended up selling pieces of it, pieces of it away to, to put back into their pipeline. Like as a venture capitalist would, when a venture capital you know firm makes money, they give it back to their investors. The CF Foundation doesn't have investors, so they just reinvest it into the, the science that they're they're funding. 
And it's such a unique thing that other nonprofits have started to emulate what the CF Foundation has done uh, because it's so exceptionally successful. Uh, so when you ask, what do I hope for the future and what, what do I think CF can show the world? Well, I think it can show that exactly, right? That That is a huge learning and a huge path to conquering unmet medical need broadly across mm-hmm. the population, especially within rare disease. Um, as far as, you know, my role in in the CF Foundation, in the CF, not the CF Foundation, the CF world, um, I, frankly, I, like, I, it'll always be a part of me and I always want to be a patient advocate, but like, I feel like, you know, uh, we've done and achieved so much that it's time for the next generation of patient advocates to come up and, and do what they want to do, right? Like, to me, like, I'm not, you know, the only one living with CF and I don't want to be the only one that has a voice and I don't want to be the only one that, you know, talks about the right or the wrong or whatever my opinions may, may drive at. And I just want to see more younger people with CF come up and feel passionate uh, about their condition that they're living with and they, and, and get involved in fundraising and get involved in uh, understanding the, you know, the, the math behind drug development and research and, and all the things that drive uh, progress forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Very well said. <laughs> Love it. You know, but I, I also think it's also important that we recognize too that, uh, you know, that there's still a part of the population that still has very serious yeah. unmet medical need, right? And that's um, that's important. Uh, and it's a motivating factor for, you know, so many people living with CF, right? Like we, you and I are both, you know, examples that have benefited from the drug development that has happened inside the CF world that I, to me, it motivates me even more to make sure that, uh, you know, the final 10% of patients who don't benefit from modulators are able, are able to do to benefit from some disease modifying medication, you know, in the near future. And, and I'm hopeful that we will see in the next, you know, five to 10 years, something, something transformative for that part of the population too. Yeah. It's encouraging seeing the the drug pipeline of um, drugs. Yeah, and it's amazing. Treatments and everything that are uh, currently in the research phase. There's a lot. Um, yeah, there are. And there's, there's uh, given up on. Yeah, it's a, um, it's actually a super interesting uh, case that's happening in CF right now. We, again, we have such a small patient population, but a very crowded drug development pipeline, right? Like it's a pretty, um, pretty cool thing to see, but it also means that a lot of patients are going to have to start thinking about getting into clinical trials, right? The only way to push the, the, bound, the boundaries of medicine forward is to, is to um, you know, rally around clinical trials as, as our population has, as the CF community has, uh, but that's going to be you know, crucially important for that final 10% of patients, you know, the last 4,000 patients in America and, you know, however few thousand outside the U.S. that are unmodulated to get into clinical trials and actually push that next generation of medicine forward. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's, um. so I, over the years I've participated in a lot of clinical trials. I was not fortunate enough to be selected to be in the TRICAFTA trials, but that's okay. That turned out just fine anyway. But, <laughs> um, so I wonder... And I don't know if, I mean, I'm just interested in hearing your thoughts on this since, since, you know, like 90% mm-hmm. of, of the CF population has benefited from Trikafta, that leaves like a much smaller subset of the population um, to participate in trials for drugs that will benefit them. Right. I mean, yeah. that's going to be a, a challenge that even, yeah, even if like a- they're super motivated, it's like they, well, they have, you know, a it will, much smaller. It will be a challenge. I th- 
Yeah, I think it's, you know, recruiting patients for any clinical trial is very difficult. But, this, you know, the thing that we benefit from in the CF world um, is the clinical trial network that the CF Foundation has set up here in the United States is one of the most powerful clinical trial networks in the entire world. So this is a challenge the CF community can take on and, it, and, it can, and, a, and a challenge that we can overcome. Um, you know, I think, you know, let's, you know, hope, hopefully we see medicines that are even better than Trikafta for all of us, right? So that'll mean people that are on Trikafta now will have to actually volunteer for clinical studies as well for other medicines. That's one challenge that we're going to have to overcome. And I think, um, you know, no medicine is perfect, right? You know, there, there are some people that, you know, that do suffer from side effects where they don't tolerate Trikafta well. So um, you know, we do need better better medicines than what we currently have for, for, for the modulated population. Uh, for the unmodulated population, you're right. There's, there's a very small pool of potential participants. And uh, there's different design choices that uh, pharmaceutical companies can take or that regulators can allow for such small patient populations to enable clinical trials to generate uh, meaningful power to show efficacy and safety. So, um, you know, we don't need to get into what those to what those look like and what those are now. Um, but that's something that's being thought through for sure. It absolutely yeah. is. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate your um, level of being informed. Uh, you know, I think one, one fear that I've sort of had, uh, and it's again, it's a, a, a little bit of like a a good fear to, to hold, I suppose, is that the next generation of people with CF, um, will they have the same sense of urgency that we've had with trying to pursue a cure or fight for a cure or fight for research or fight for fundraising? Um, because they're going to be born into a world where there's already highly effective medicine, right? So yeah. does the does the sense of urgency dissipate? And that's a question that I think is open right now. And it's a little scary to think about. Uh, but it's, um, you know, it's it's my hope that you know, you're born with a chronic condition. You want to see it cured, right? There's there needs to be an inherent sense of urgency that exists with it. Right. So um, mm-hmm. something I'm 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 hopeful for is that uh, you know parents of, of of kids newly born and newly diagnosed with CF today, you know, will look to the patients of yesterday and, and know that what we went through together as a community and what patients even before us went through when they didn't have anything. Uh, when you know and how they had and how they paid the ultimate price so that where we could be today is you know sort of a sign of progress right it's just like every patient up to today has played a small role in in uh in getting us to where we are so um i'm hopeful that you know today's generation of patients look back and feel inspired to to carry the flag forward yeah i had always heard you know growing up that um like in the 60s when the cf foundation was started by parents um of kids with cf like they were really the ones who drove progress forward and because it was a, yeah. a rare disease and um you know like there wasn't um like government funds or whatever for for research and so it was really just parents coming together and having like the tenacity to tackle like take on this disease like figure out what it was in the first place and um yeah. and build the CF foundation and so forth. So it's just, I don't know, it'll be interesting going forward as like fewer and fewer children are, you know, cause like we're going to still have CF. Well, so you, what you would actually see is what you would, you would actually imagine is going to happen, right. Is um, the, the CF population is going to start to grow, right. Because fewer people, are, are, are going to die from it. Right. right? So and people are going to live longer than life. And, and there's, yeah, exactly. And there's no, there's no, right. And the gene pool dictates that there might be some unexpected pregnancies where, where more people see it are born, but 
there's no reason to believe that the birth rate of people diagnosed with CF is going to change, right? So the population is just going to start to grow and grow and grow and grow. Um, I think it will, will be a rare disease because it's just never going to be prevalent enough. But uh, it, it's it, it's going to be interesting to see uh, like what happens to the epidemiology of the disease and if there's like changes in survival curves and, and things like that. So uh, the future of CF is is one uh, that is extremely unique because it's one of the only lifelong chronic illnesses that's been completely altered by mm-hmm. biochemistry, right? So like what does CF look like in 10 years is going to be crazy, right? Because right. you know, kids will start on, on, on like a generic and form. It won't even a big deal, right? I mean, they'll have CF, but well, it won't would would be would a big help. deal. Yeah, right? yeah I think it's it, the um, the population that we can actually look at is uh, the, you know, the very small portion of the CF community that is able to take Kaleidico, right? Kaleidico is approved all the way down to very, very young age. So there mm-hmm. are people who have been on Kaleidico for like almost 10 years now. Yeah. Um, and seeing what they look like is going to be informative of what the trichafta generation will look like. Uh, but even beyond that, right, in order to get a new medicine into CF, it has to meet the equivalency of trichafta. So it's going to have to, you know, you would expect that survival and outcomes just improve, right? It's just going to get better, which is hard to imagine. Yeah, but exciting. Um, Gunnar, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Um, you're just so informed about everything in the CF world. And, um, you know, despite having CF myself, I admittedly am not. So it's great to have like sort of an expert on to talk about all the things, you know, CF community and um, just like the science of of drug de- and drug development and everything. Um, so I really appreciate your time. And it was great connecting with you. I've, you know, watched your success from afar. And so it's really cool to be able to connect with you uh, one-on-one. In, a, well, in this format. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Morgan. And uh, I, I really appreciate it. Good luck with uh, the podcast. I'm excited to see where it goes. Um, and it's our, it's our community's collective success, right? That's We are living in a, a new world of CF together. Um, so I'm, I'm just excited to see where it goes. And uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Makers, Dreamers, Doers podcast with me, Morgan Barrett. Please remember to follow, review, and share this podcast with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Your support helps more people find the podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at morganbarrett underscore underscore and check out my website for more information at morganbarrett.co.